friend. Season 3 of the Mystical American Patriot Society is transmitting to you from a high desert encampment, on the frontier of our agrarian hoplite republic. This is a variety program for happy warriors who are getting some seriously bad vibes from the deranged post-Christian technocracy. Grab a tankard of yak's milk and join us by the campfire. As Sumo and Cavi return to shake your surveillance, expel your parasites, and generally have a good time. Are you ready? Stand by. really enjoying how bizarre your avatar is man that's awesome <laughs> yeah i'm a bear in a hoodie in front of the golden gate bridge that's sweet dude uh, the, uh the avatar doesn't really if you do like the thing the setup it shows like it moves with your head and stuff but when you start it it actually just stays static i don't know it just moves the mouth <laughs> cool cool uh yeah. how's, how's it going man it's going well how's it going with you it's going well, man. This is kind of like the start of my work week. It's like my Monday. I guess it's Sunday in real life. But uh, yeah, man, things are going well. Totally insane, but cool at the same time. Um, can you hear me well? Does my audio sound good and all that? Yeah, I hear you fine. You sound different than I imagined you would sound. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. I just imagine, I don't know, maybe slightly more uh, nasally. I imagine. Oh, cool. Yeah. When I did my first audio thing ever, I actually got an odd amount of messages of people saying, I thought you would sound more like a nerd or I thought yeah. you would sound more fat. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay. I was like, all right, cool, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. I thought maybe you would sound more fat. I don't think you actually are fat if your comics of yourself are correct. I think it's because if you even look at the picture I drew, like, you could yeah. read that as a guy who's fat, I guess. I don't know, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how's it going on it, your end? Oh, it's fine. I don't just, uh, you know, this. I don't know if you know, but you are actually the uh, the godfather of this podcast. You I know. I was, I was telling my wife, I'm going on a podcast that I named via one of my tweets, I believe. And she was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, like in, like a long time ago, like maybe 2017 or something. 
Yeah, yeah. How's your guys' operation been going? Everything. I emailed you. You have like a. I don't know if it's your secretary or your wife or something, but you have like it's a, whole a secretary operation. that is that is currently operating just out of the good goodness of her heart because we can no longer pay her. If that is indication of how it's going, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it goes how it goes. We've been yeah. since we started. One of our uh, co-hosts has died. It was sad. Whoa, uh, that's brutal, yeah, man. Sorry. I mean, it not. It's you have to. It's not as sad as it sounds. He, you know, but uh, and then we re- replaced him. Uh, tried to replace him, but it's just been uh, back and forth. But the show must go on. That's the that's the thing with with stagecraft. The yeah, dude, I I totally get it, man. Yeah, for sure. You can't stop. Uh, I don't think we've said your name yet. I probably will do it in the intro. But this is Owen Cyclops, the uh, the great Owen Cyclops. Of uh, really world-renowned fame at this point, I, wouldn't you say? I mean, you're you get you get uh, you get posters of your of your artwork in gas stations all over the world, in Canada, everywhere. <laughs> that has happened. Uh, yeah, I guess that is the case now. Maybe a little. It's hard to say. It's funny because it it still feels it still feels the same on me. But I was at Whole Foods recently. I told this story to someone, and someone recognized one of my shirts. That's happened a few times. People DM me saying, oh, I was in, you know, like the woods in Montana and someone was wearing one of your shirts and things like that. Uh, On my end, it still feels the same. But yeah, I guess it's going well. Good, good. Are you are you is it becoming like a a real business for you? Right now, it is basically what I put all my time into. Yeah, I Uh I like to say I'm an artist with a wife and a baby and another baby coming. So my stress level is probably what you generally imagine but uh yeah it's going pretty well i basically run the art studio here so that's what you could describe as my uh operation most of the time yeah oh nice nice very cool very cool so you're here because we uh, want to talk about your well i want to talk about a lot of things but your especially your new book uh babyology which which recently came out yeah i dropped this book just before the holidays and it's been received pretty well it's definitely the thing i've put the most of myself into thus mm-hmm. far in terms of my operation it's been a few years and this was definitely the thing yeah where i put the most on the table and really put the most of myself into it for sure yeah it's it's definitely uh, it feels one of the more personal work like there's a lot of episodes in your it's it's a book of comics basically a book of but it's like your real life comics more or less yeah, basically I dropped the first book. It's called Channel One. And it really was a totally random, almost like a mixtape grab bag of just fully unconnected things that had nothing to do with each other. And I really liked that. Uh part of my artistic style, I think, is that if I ever get even a little bit of a formula going, I just flip the script and do something totally different. Uh right. I try and never be like predictable to myself, even. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to change it up and really flesh out a little bit of a world. Uh, You could say it is my life, but it's really in the format of newspaper comics almost. So the book is, you know, an anthology in one sense, but then every now and then I kind of kick out the floor of the newspaper comic format and go into longer narratives that explore the main themes. Uh, It was a little bit of a risk, I guess, going in because I was like, wow, I'm really leaning into the newspaper comic thing hard. And I wonder how that's going to dovetail with my style, but I really like how it came out and now it's a huge part of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's got, you know, most of it is like one-off comics and then it'll be interspersed with these um, comics that go on for maybe 10, 12 pages. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of nice because 
again, with what I just said, you know, I like to keep people guessing, keep people on their feet. Even for me, I like to keep it interesting. So yeah, it's like if I'm driving a car, I can always 180, hard right turn, hard left turn. You know, I can always pull these different maneuvers with the format. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's become a huge part of what I do. It's maybe is the main thing I do now, along with the larger scale art projects. Uh, so yeah, I'm at both ends of the spectrum doing like the day-to-day comics and then the absurdly large, like art and graphic design projects. Yeah. Very awesome. Very cool. Uh, so if people don't know you, you've, you're sort of, I don't know how you describe what you do. Uh, it is, you do art mostly in the form of comics, although not always. And it is very like, um, uh, sort of like weird religious in a good way. Um, yeah. metaphysical maybe, I don't know. Like you'll be, you'll be having, it'll be a comic about you with your wife and baby. And then like, um, the dog will have an existential crisis and recall the church fathers <laughs> or something. That's awesome. I'm really glad that's a, that's an awesome description of, of my work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I describe myself as an illustrator. So that's like a particular term I use. An illustrator is really in between a graphic designer and fine artist. So I don't usually make art like for art's sake now, you could say, like a painting or something like that. Um, For me, what an illustrator does is convey information visually. So yeah, when people ask me, I'm an illustrator and I deal mostly with religion, sociology, different cultural topics. What your description was is really perfect because the main thing I'm interested in is how these really heady, like metaphysical, seemingly out there ideas touch down and intersect with real life. You know, if you're into any of this stuff, sometimes it feels like it's just these abstract, like philosophical concepts. But then that's really the process that birthed the book. Because then you have a kid, you know, the kid gets sick and you're like, oh, I've been toying around with all these questions about, you know, life and why life is the way it is. But now it's like literally right in front of me and I'm kind of responsible for it, but I'm also just riding, you know, the beast along with everyone else. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's really where I get my best work out of, I think, is where those, you know, page 480 of a 9,000 page theology book comes and hits you, you know, in your real life. Yeah, it's easy to, I mean, I think I've said this before, but I think one of the reasons people maybe are less religious today is simply because people around them aren't dying as frequently. And if, (laughs) you know, that if people, if we had to deal with life and death more directly, more often, uh, a lot of these airy fairy physical ideas would suddenly make a lot more sense. And we'd either believe them or not believe them. I don't know, but they certainly wouldn't be like these abstract thoughts anymore. Yeah. And that's think, probably a factor for sure. Yeah. The time period on like it really, when you have kids, it really like sort of like starts over for you in a way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. The time period is something else I go into now, you know, I think even just having any religious inclinations at all is a little bit bizarre. Maybe that's just where yeah. I'm from. I, I grew up like hardcore atheist and all that. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, being a little bit out of step with the time and everything is also a part of my <laughs> life in general operation. I'm sure it is for you also. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I constantly feel like I um, uh, am completely out of place in, uh, in the world, but maybe that's good. <laughs> yeah. Probably now it is. Yeah. Who knows? Do you, do you think your um where you've landed has anything to do with your the long familial line you describe in Comic One Twenty One about being descended from Freemasons, and <laughs> is your book a long and complicated Masonic plot? 
<laughs> it's it is they paid me actually a yeah. ton of money it was great no i'm just kidding i wish if they're, if they're <laughs> I've out there on the show know. before if if the if the freemasons or the illuminati would pay me to do their propaganda i would do it but they have it uh, i know i was know. joking with my wife we had to like replace all the pipes in our house and i was like i'm kind of ready to sell out let's do it yeah <laughs> like, i mean just yeah because you try to tell people things for so long and it just feels nowhere so why not just sell out <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'd actually do it but it would be tempting uh yeah, anyway for though, sure. as for what you george soros if you're listening just pony up some money and i will i will be your propagandist yeah yeah but you know uh as asked uh yeah it's interesting because i really feel like there's not really like a non-pretentious way to describe it, but I really feel like I've kind of like recapitulated a lot of my own family history. It's weird uh -huh. even just zooming back like, you know, one or two generations because I think almost everyone in my family from the South was probably Baptist, ranging from yep. like just being Baptist to being like probably really into it. <laughs> yep, yep, um, yep. My mom was raised like hardcore, you know, in that world. And then she left and she's basically functionally like nothing now, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously the umbrella I was raised under. And then it was kind of like working my way backwards, climbing up the family tree, um, puncturing out of my little bubble. You know, uh, I didn't mm -hmm. even really know almost anyone that was religious at all growing up really functionally. Right. Um, so, yeah, I have wondered that, honestly. I feel like along my family line, there are some guys into weird stuff. And I have been convinced by some odd books. Uh, most notably, there's this book called Refiner's Fire that's really insane. It's all about mm. the history of early Mormonism and tracing it backwards. But I love one, Mormonism. It's so I'm not a Mormon, but it's so interesting. Yeah, for sure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the kind of subplots in the book is... He does this thing where he goes through like people's family lines and uh -huh. he'll paint this picture like, well, here's this guy. Um, his grandfather was a universalist, meaning didn't believe in hell and was part of this like universalist society. His dad was a dowser, meaning like, you know, taking wooden sticks out in the woods and finding water yeah. and doing magic and stuff. And then he converted to Mormonism and he like paints these charts and lines where he's like, even when you start to stack it up statistically, there's this kind of like spiritual nature that runs through these family lines and uh -huh. seeing it painted over so many pages and then reflecting back on my own family history, I really did start to think there is like a spiritual tendency or inclination, even if it's just tending towards, you know, legalism and following the rules or being a fringe weirdo or different kind of proclivities that are harder to pin down. I do actually now think that that stuff does run in families in a weird way. Uh, yeah. It's been really interesting to unpack, man. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree with you. I think that certain religious tendencies or mystical tendencies or whatever are definitely, I don't know if genetics the right word, but they are, they are passed along family lines. I think that's, I think if you pay attention, that's really not questionable. I mean, it just happens over and over again. Yeah, for but, sure. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's almost like a nature you can see. Again, like it's sort of the topic of the book, but like raising a kid, you really see them come out kind of with their own nature and it's a reflection of, you know, the nature you have and have been passing along also. Uh -huh. um, so that's obviously super like philosophical and interesting. Yeah, my daughter is like so much like me in the in the mental way. And I don't I never made any conscious effort to teach her that. It just sort of happened. Right? She just 
And and so I'll like I see her going through many of the same philosophical issues that I went through at about the same age. And it's just sort of like, well, I guess that's just what happens. I don't know. Uh, you know, but maybe it skips some generations because I don't recall that ever happening with to my knowledge with my parents. But maybe they just didn't talk about it. I don't I don't know. But there's definitely a um uh lineage factor in religion that is unexplored, except maybe by you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And this refiner's fire book. I'll have to read that. Um yeah, so you, you're saying your your mother's side, she was raised Baptist in the South, right? And yeah. And one of the things I really like that you've really focused on in your comics and your work and uh your threads is distinguishing a, the difference between the sort of radical reformation and the reformation or Protestants and like radical Protestants, which I think clears up so much about America and the religious landscape and and why it confuses people. That distinction you've made is very helpful because it's like, Oh, the, you know, like Southern Baptists really are a different religion than say Lutherans or, uh, Calvinists or whatever it's and it's and so when people lump them in with Protestants it gets very confusing and I really have liked the way that you've uh teased that apart yeah man that was a really interesting thing for me to unpack honestly I touched on it for a second but it really came from a lot of the Mormon stuff as bizarre (laughs) as it sounds because no I I understand completely yeah yeah I was really able to like piece it together and it really clicked where I was able to see, okay, here's this like alternative theological system, this alternative cosmology. It really is <laughs> totally different in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then that naturally led me to asking, well, where did this come from? Like this one guy, I mean, I don't think this one guy just like necessarily whole cloth made it up or there must be some historical lineage or what, like what's the deal here? And by tracing it back, it really led me over to the Radical Reformation and things like that. And it really cleared up so much of my perception of Christian history. That's really like the department I was really at first fumbling around in and then kind of finding my way through. Um, And yeah, once you grab it, I guess since we're talking about it, just to put it in one sentence, uh, it's basically that during the Reformation, you think of it as Protestants versus Catholics. But there was actually a C team, another team that was the Radical Reformation, who they both hated, who had to go around Europe getting killed by both of them, uh, and then finally found a place to flourish and develop, and that was America. Yeah, which is why America is so weird. It really, it makes it all, like the Puritans weren't welcome anywhere by the Catholics or the Protestants, and they had to leave. And then the Baptists, even more so. Yeah, no, exactly. At first, it, I saw it as pretty much historical, and I yeah. thought literally, oh, they literally came over, like you were just saying, like, here's this group, the Quakers. They literally came here and started doing this stuff. Uh-huh. But as I went deeper into it, and just to explicate in case people like aren't <laughs> well-versed on fringe Christian history or something, imagine, um, mm-hmm. I really started to see it as like a tendency. And that mm-hmm. really cleared it up a lot also. It's sort of a natural tendency that's unlocked once the pressure cooker of state power lets up even a little bit in terms of enforcing Christian doctrine. What I really started to piece together was like, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, if you wrote a book, let's say, example, denying the Trinity or something in Europe, you would have just been killed. I mean, the pressure cooker was 
tight. Whether it's a good or a bad thing is up for debate, but the pressure cooker was like solid. And once you let that out even a little bit, these natural tendencies start to break out. Um, and it really cleared everything up because just for example, like you have the Seventh-day Adventists in the US and then you have Lutherans, let's say they're both Protestant, right? But it feels like they're different. Yeah. To me, the difference was how much they were breaking with the tradition. So like for some Protestants, they partake totally of like classical theology. Like if you go to a confessional Lutheran person, they're basically doing the whole classical theology thing. They have all the, you know, point by points and they have the, well, if God is like this, then it's also like this. And they have all these building blocks that are functionally historical. But then yeah, you also Catholic minus the Pope. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And but then you also have Protestants who are like, yeah, all of that was a huge mistake. And we're starting from scratch, just reading the text with no presuppositions at all. Um, yeah. And it's crazy when you like just because I was also raised Southern Baptist. And it, it's when you see it through that lens, you go back and like, oh, they're they're because their whole thing was like, we have to be like the early church, the early church, the early church. Like they wanted to rewind and without any listening to anybody that had ever come before um just read the bible and draw their own conclusions and that is sort of a is it and that that's really i think the difference between the the, the radical reformation and the regular reformation and why the radical reformation spawns like the southern baptists are the most tame i, I think the most like <laughs> uh, easily recognizable as like standard christian the because you got the Seventh-day Adventists, like you said, and then you got the Mormons, which is like more be the more extreme of that. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And I really honestly, I mean, I'm sure people are like kind of familiar with that at least concept a little bit, but where it got really electric and really crazy for me, honestly, was that I started to realize that because of, you know, the question of like, how much are we breaking with the classical theology thing? Um it, I really started to realize that a huge part of American Christianity was decoupling, not not all American Christianity, but let's say this tendency I'm I'm talking about that I'm mm -hmm. interested in, was like decoupling Greek philosophy yeah. from Christianity. And what was crazy that's, about it was that's it, it, man. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It it really honestly it has the feeling of like a conspiracy theory, honestly, because you realize it and you're like, oh, this actually makes total perfect sense. But mm -hmm. it sounds completely insane. Like I've been at a party <laughs> and someone's like, oh, you know, what are you interested in? And we get to this point where I'm like, I either lean back and just kind of don't explain it or I lean in and you're in for like a 12 minute semi schizophrenic monologue because right. it's really one way or the other. Because if you went to, you know, a random evangelical mega church Christian and you were like, oh, yeah, like like you have this form of Christianity that sort of has broken from the tradition of like Greek philosophy. They'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? But when you mm -hmm. sit down at your desk and lay it out, you're like, oh, actually, this just makes perfect sense. And it really is a very like electric area to operate in. I didn't really know how to talk about it for a long time because people do have such strong feelings about it, honestly, that yeah. it's crazy, man. Like once you touch the Pandora's box, it's it just explodes everywhere, man. Like even, you know, just one, one example I like to give people is like, you know, like you're reading Genesis, you just open the book, right? And right. it's like, okay, God rested on the seventh day. When you have the classical theology backbone in your mind, you're like, well, God is outside of time. So right. him resting on this day and you like sort of extrapolate it out. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's like what you do. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're on the other side and you're like, I don't know anything. Like, oh, he rested on the day. How could you?
best out of time. You know, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense unless you have this backbone of like metaphysics. So it put me in this crazy place, man, where I could like start asking people questions like this and I could sort of tell they were like feeling it out on the fly. Um, it was, it was just, I mean, I could really go into it hard. It like consumed like years of my life, honestly, but yeah, man, once I touched that Pandora's box of like, oh, a lot of the early Christian project was integrating, or I guess I could say neutrally, um, articulating the Christian revelation in terms of Greek metaphysics. And you have all these American Christians where intuitively, maybe without realizing it, actually almost always without realizing it, they're kind of like, yeah, we're not really into that. And that's the break, dude. Yeah. It was, it, it really was like a conspiracy. You're like, oh, this is like the level of like, I just found this document that proves this guy was like laundering money. You're like, wow, I really can't unsee this like paradigm level observation. For sure. I mean, like, I, I think you even made it too tame. I mean, like the entirety of the early church was like, Hey, how do we make this work with philosophy? And that's strange because all of the philosophy was built on paganism. And then you, you try, you're like, how are we going to merge these together? And then you start looking at like the, the Bible and whatnot, like the old test, the God is described in the old Testament is not Neoplatonic in any way. He rests, like you said, he gets mad. He seems to change over time. He changes his mind. He seems like he does all of these things which are not detached and depersonal light just floating in the sky unchanging. And yet they were like, well, but we got to smoosh them together. And then it, it created this, I don't like you said, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's certainly like um, unremarked upon. I don't think people notice that that's what happened. I definitely think they don't uh for most people i mean honestly for most people the project of like going into stuff like this is like in like not relevant not relevant to their life which is cool to have like a life and stuff Mm -hmm. i think you you said i kind of like soft pedaled it part of the reason why it was so difficult to discuss honestly for the first like year or year and a half i just didn't say anything about it to anyone i really just worked it over in my mind i would take these drives uh you know we just had the baby at the time and he would wake up at any sound and we have to drive like two hours to the city. It's not an interesting story, but so I'd be in these dead silent drives, like two hours there, two hours back. And like every time I would just be going over it in my mind, like start to finish, like completely. The reason it was hard to talk to people about is because I really still, honestly, even right now, I'm not like pushing it one way or the other, but when you start to touch that territory, people really get their hackles up or Mm -hmm they start to read in what they think into what you're saying. Like it was really fascinating for a while because when I first started going into it, I would get messages from people being like, I see what you're doing. Like you realize how wrong these groups are, but you don't want to like offend them. So you're going around the back and like explaining it in this way. Like that's awesome. And then I'd also get messages of people being like, I see what you're doing. You know, all this stuff is wrong and you're kind of just walking around the other (laughs) way. And I was really like, honestly, no, man, I just think it's really interesting, which is, I guess, an annoying position to be in for some people. But yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's really fractals out from there. And I think that also partially explains my interests. I mean, that's sort of why it seems really random that I would be mostly into like Catholicism and Mormonism, but it actually kind of makes sense because from where I'm sitting, it's sort of either like there's the not your magic negative like magical, um, holy ability to develop and steward ideas correctly. And if the church has the stamp, 
the church figures it out and that's what happened. And now we're here and that's what was supposed to happen. Or it's the other way. There's no stamp. And we're like in the wilderness. For me, it's either like one way or the other. And it's really hard for me to cut the middle ground. So people come over, they see my bookshelf. They're like, why is this all like Catholic and Mormon stuff? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, do you have 20 minutes? (laughs) Well, those are the two extremes, right? The Catholic is probably the most integrated with Greek philosophy. I mean, Thomas Aquinas, right? And then on the opposite side, you've got uh, Mormonism, who the God in Mormonism is sort of pretty similar to the God of the Old Testament in the way that he seems to act and and move and think and feel. Well, it partakes of this like time period of like, what if we just start from scratch and like unpack it? I'm sure right. actually I'm not I'm not not sure I know that most Old Testament scholars, you know you know who Michael Heiser is. Do you know who that is? Y- y- yes, but not well. Cool. Yeah, Michael Heiser writes about that a lot of that stuff. And he has a section on his website that's literally like, here's why I'm not not actually Mormon or secretly pumping Mormonism. I know people are reading or people are reading this and you know, um yeah. But yeah, no, it's the two extremes in that sense, for sure. I mean, like in Mormonism, God's like almost like a big guy in the sky. I'm not even saying that negatively. It like kind of is literally the case. Uh, no, it's, then, it's yeah. literally the case in Mormonism that God is a guy in the sky. And it's also literally the case in Christianity. If you read it literally, like Jesus, I mean, Jesus goes up into heaven. He's a man with a beard and he goes up into the sky and then it seems like Yahweh is like that too in the old Testament, at least somewhat, you know? And so this whole idea that like, he's this, this personal, it's just strange. It's very strange how we got from one to the other. Yeah. It's interesting too, man, because I really, I had this time period. So like, obviously I go through these like different chapters and I went back into like Neoplatonism and that kind of thing. I hadn't Uh poked into the Neoplatonic stuff since I used to be really into like Western occult and like Western esoterica, I'm, I'm obviously, I would a hundred percent guess your listeners would be familiar with the distinction I'm making, but not like occult yeah. black magic, like Western esoterica, you know, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I, I hadn't hit the Neoplatonic stuff for like years and years and years, like another lifetime ago, basically. And when I went back into it, I had this almost like fear a little bit of like, oh, I'm going to go into this. And what if I kind of realized that like, this is really the essence of like what I was looking for in Christianity. And I kind of fall out of like the Christian bubble. Well, I guess I'm just, you know, a truth seeker. If that happens, it'll happen. But I was kind of worried about it. But actually the total opposite happened, man. I went into that stuff and I was like, wait, this is actually kind of pushing me backwards away from the revelation that, you know, God is personal. He has a personality. He like thinks about stuff. Right. Not sure if you've gone into like, Plotinus is like the main like Neoplatonic guy, but he's always the example I choose because when Plotinus meets like the one, which is functionally like God in his system, it's just like a essence. It's just like a, it's like a abstract unity of stuff. It's not like a guy, you know, waving his hand saying, Hey, I'm happy or mad. It's just like this oozy (laughs) light essence, I guess. Yeah. Like Um, a diffuse gas of good or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the other kind of schizo thing about all this, honestly, is that I don't know if I'm like all over the place, but it all like folds together um, because then I started asking just normal people what they thought about all this stuff. So I had this huge, you know, um, like inverse pyramid of like these concepts and mapping and historical forces at play and decoupling Greek metaphysics from scripture and all this stuff or integrating it. 
And then I just started asking normal people around me what they thought about all this stuff. And man, it was so interesting, dude. It was crazy. Normal people's theology does not line up with official theology at all. <laughs> and if, yeah. you, if you drill into like what they think about life and death and angels and demons and the soul, it, they, it's like they never, it's like all the Sunday school and catechisms in the world had no difference. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. And, but also it's interesting because you get, I feel like I got both extremes. Like I would talk to people who would basically be like, yeah, God kind of is like a big guy and this guy with the beard, I guess. I mean, they know they shouldn't say that, but they're like, I guess that's kind of is what I think. Uh But then like I asked my parents and they kind of described like the Neoplatonic conception of God. They were like, yeah, there's like a God, I guess, you know, and I started asking like, okay, well, you know, do you think he would like be mad about something and they were like oh no no it's not like yeah, that no, no. and i'm like oh okay so is it like a big ball of like light unity stuff and they're like yeah i guess something like that i guess you know um anyway it's just interesting that's like a whole theme of the book and like my life now i guess is like you're on the bottom level and there's these like almost like lovecraftian philosophy history complexes above you you know, and you can see them working and acting in like, you know, the world around you. It's, it's such a trip, dude. It's really so awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm like, I think that, I think that you could, you could really describe Western culture as the entirety of it from Socrates to now as a struggle to, between two conflicting ideas about God, which is Neoplatonism and like Abrahamism. And People have the whole, the whole history of it has been people sort of, everyone's got their foot a little bit in both camps, even if they don't know it and they don't quite, and the, but the two really don't really go together. And so the, it's the schizophrenic back and forth, maybe I, well, I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I feel like in the most sophisticated forms, like, I guess you would say like in like, I don't know if I'm qualified to say like proper Catholic theology, uh-huh. but I feel like it kind of is like, well, you have God, the father and he, I, they wouldn't say it this way yeah, in my experience, no. but he kind of is like the platonic God, honestly. Yeah. And they use the Trinity Jesus. to sort of smoosh them together and give the, they give the Abrahamic qualities to Jesus and the Neoplatonic to the father. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Ba- yeah. Well, basically, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit so, is like, well, he's something. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, again, it's like, it always comes back to like, I'm either in like the castle. I, I literally visualize this in my mind. It's like in the castle, the castle's like theology. Right. Or I'm like way out in the wilderness where there's like, hasn't been a building for 200 miles. Like it feels like it's either one way or the other. Like I ride into the castle and I'm like, oh, it's what the castle's like. And then I head out into the wilderness. And there is some territory in between, but it's hard for me to usually fall there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to live in the castle. I would, but every, like, there's, I just, I'm like you, I just see, like, I, people, there's, like, things built in the castle. I'm like, why is this here? People are like, oh, don't ask about that. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's just strange. It's hard. Yeah. One theme that I really thought, and initially I thought the book would be, longer that's why the book itself is just volume one which is good because it's already like what like 360 pages or something yeah yeah, yeah. but I mean, one... it's a fast read though it's 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 good yeah thanks uh one the theme where i kind of left like let's say i parked the car somewhere was like the social aspect and institutions and finding yourself as a part of institutions mm-hmm. um it was just like a little too much to like responsibly unpack, I guess you could say, because again, it either hits people like, oh, you're saying this is good or bad. But like when I had 
the kid <laughs> when I had right. the kid that's like one thing that really became like an extremely pressing issue in my mind was like what am I going to tell him you know wh what's mm. going to be his like spiritual community and I really wanted to make an intentional decision of if I was going to take him to you know there's a Baptist church down the road let's just say I take him there but then one day he's going to ask me, oh, so you, do you think X, Y, and Z? And I'm going to say, well, X and Y, yeah, but not Z. And then he's going to say, right. well, why are you taking me here then? You know, right. uh, I thought I thought it'd be good for you. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, or am yeah, I you got to give him something, but nothing seems like completely, completely correct. I know. Or am I just going to say, well, you know, it feels, I don't want to say irresponsible, but it was it felt, felt like a big decision to also say, well, here's all these pieces uh, I kind of figured out how like eight of the 12 puzzle pieces go together. I mean, good luck with that. Like, here you go. This is kind of as far as I got. Um, I'd say for about like six months to a year, it really was like, I'd wake up in the morning and be like thinking about it. Like it was so pressing all the time. Um, and that kind of like psychic tension, it's not in the book, but that also is part of what is driving that work. Um, mm -hmm. and then also looking around and I'm sure you're obviously familiar, like, that's like a huge kind of theme in weirdo internet, I guess you could say, like how you're raising kids, how you're, it usually manifests as like people yelling at each other about like cloth diapers or something, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Americans right now are totally uh, beside themselves about the correct way to raise a child. Yeah. Out it, a thousand different forms. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, because when I talk to people in real life, you know. I had such a rebellious streak. I'm sure I'm, I would imagine that you did. Obviously, I'd imagine most of your listeners did for sure. Or at least like questioning things streak, maybe not rebellious. Right. And it's interesting too, because I have friends and they're like, you know, they're like, we found this church. This is the right path. You know, maybe they're totally right. And I, I always wonder like, you know, what's the context for your kid like questioning that? You know, that was a super interesting like sub theme in my studies for a while too. Um, like I would honestly, even <laughs> for a little while, I was talking to these Mormon missionaries, you know, they come to your house and they're like, Hey, you want to talk about like life and death and the meaning of life? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Come in my house. Why not? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just literally what I was just working on in my office. Um, you and at least, Mormons. at least one of them was like, you know, I was raised with this, but like, I am still kind of deciding if, it's something that I've taken up on my own, or if it's just the context that I was raised in, I'm sure everyone raised in a religion probably has, you know, that moment or those feelings. Right. And that's another interesting aspect of it too. You know, uh, I really started to feel like the whole rumspringa Amish letting their kids like rebel for a little while thing mm -hmm. is such a good cultural technology, man. Cause it gives your kid the space to say, now it's my time to like question everything you've taught me and see if I'm going to take it up for myself. Right. Um, so yeah, the dovetailing of like religion groups, social groups, uh, all that stuff is also something that I'm hitting like pretty hard right now too. Yeah. One of my favorite comics in the book, it was a short one was, I don't remember the number, but when the, uh, the, you get a knock on the door and it's missionaries and they say, would you like to, would you like to talk about the perfect table? And it's their, their Neoplatonists that have come. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like yeah I just imagining. Imagining that strain of thought being made so explicit that it was its own missionary work was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I've talked to a lot of missionaries here at the studio, actually. It's it's interesting. I don't know if they like have my address or something or if they just come around. I got some Jehovah's Witnesses coming here. That was interesting. The Mormons uh -huh. came by. Those are, I guess, the two main groups. I'm open to open to others, but <laughs> those are the two yeah, main yeah. ones. Yeah, you're, you're open to being evangelized by whoever. 
Yeah. If someone came, if someone came to my house and they were like, we have the answers we'd like to tell you, I would give them like 30 minutes at least for sure. Have you ever, have you ever been around the snake handlers? They're fun. Oh, dude. That's so funny. You bring that up. No, I have a book of like ethnography, I guess you could say uh, a stack of them on snake handling over here. You can't see uh -huh. clearly, but it's in my studio. Uh, -huh. uh it's, obviously really in my wheelhouse i haven't hit it yet with my work and stuff i had a suspicion that some members of my mom's family were snake handlers and she got uh -huh. really weird and i asked her about it which just i was like okay now this is a fact like now this is totally real um yeah they're awesome dude i went into a whole thing uh like like reading about them for a while um, there's an awesome book and thing the best one is called Salvation on Sand Mountain. I was about dude, to bring that up. It's... I was about to oh, bring really? Up. Oh, dude, it's well, that, so that's good. I was raised not far from Sand Mountain. And so like, I was I, I was like, that book totally like jived with me. Oh, that's sick. That's such a good book. Yeah, honestly, if you're yeah. listening to this, just like read it. It's totally worth it. Um, yeah, they're awesome. And again, man, it's sort of that, that thing where it's like, I really feel like I have a little bit of like the freak religious gene. And I wouldn't go do it, obviously, probably not. But I really respect the like, well, if you're telling me that this book is 100% each statement factually, philosophically axiomatic, and it says right here, uh, they will pick up serpents, then I'm going to go pick up a serpent. Like, yeah, I, I really, res like, I really respect it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, there's yeah. some respectful about that, even though a lot of them do have missing fingers because poisonous serpents have bitten their hands. <laughs> yeah, the last book I was it's like you know people just keep dying and you're like all right i think i think i see where this is going i think that's kind of a reaction against how i was raised honestly if i really had to analyze it psychologically because for me at least you know you grow up around all these people and it's not actually really clear what anyone believes you know they say they kind of believe in something but like then you ask them they kind of don't so i feel like that's a reaction against that where i'm like okay this guy's saying he really believes this and he's literally drinking poison at this yeah. tiny wooden church like okay at least i can grab onto that at least this guy actually thinks it's real um uh, it must be some like streak from my uh adolescence for sure i don't know if it's that it's just like it's, it's very hard not to notice that most people do not act in a way that jives with their stated belief systems and so you question like do they really believe it though you know and i think that's pretty obvious to anyone by the time you hit about 15. <laughs> yeah probably and and so some people accept that very easily and other people have to like go find like the person really doing it and maybe that's a guy getting bitten by a snake and drinking arsenic you know it's just that would um, be the guy yeah yeah that'd be the guy i mean he's yeah in america and like you said america is the only place really where that could really thrive i mean maybe you have bits of it popping up here and there but think about all the crazy like branches we got amish the snake handlers mormons seven day adventist jehovah's witness uh, the list just goes on and on and on, you know, it's, there's so many, it really is like a, a place where maybe experimental Christianity has, has been allowed to flourish. Maybe that's yeah. good, maybe that's bad, but. Yeah. In one of my favorite books on it, it's called, I think it's called the radical reformation. It's actually the book that like coined that term allegedly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like a Lord of the Rings esque length survey of like all these different groups. Uh huh. But it takes you out far into like Eastern Europe into like, you know, these kingdoms and places you have kind of heard of, but you're like, what is that? Like, you know, uh, like places like Silesia, that's the, right. I think that's in Germany, but it doesn't really matter. Um, that don't exist anymore. 
And yeah, they like had to go all the way out to like, you know, functionally away from like the Western European powers to even like have a chance at like planning their roots and stuff until America, baby, America, destiny <laughs> o'clock. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I guess maybe even, you know, cause on the one hand, I, I think America is really sort of physically that same Western battle, because on the one hand you did have these fringe variations on Christianity and that were very much rejecting Greek philosophy. And that's like the, that's like the Puritan New England strain. But at the same time, throughout Florida and the Gulf coast and, and California, you had the Spanish missionaries and Catholicism. And those two have been like in physical vying for space, not only, and also mental space since the very beginning. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. We just described is case um even off the colonies like right when people first started heading west you have you know the groups that can only just have a bible and spread taken off like wildfire the catholics yeah. kind of like trailing behind them yeah but then also it's interesting man because you get the founding fathers who are like mostly deists yeah it yep. feels like so it's so interesting dude it's people it's, like johnny appleseed walking around with a little pot literal pot on their head and he was a uh a sweet borgian yeah, dude. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I have a <laughs> even book weirder. Here. Yeah, I have a book here. It's called The Spiritual Core of Johnny Appleseed, and uh -huh. it's about it's about that. Yeah. Um, Growing up, I thought he was just made up like uh, Paul Bunyan, but then at like twelve, I found out he was a real person. Oh, that's really funny. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, he was literally distributing like Swedenborgian literature, as bizarre as that sounds. Um, yeah, that's some, that's something else. Planting apples, giving out Swedenborgian literature. And I think he eventually died freezing to death on someone's porch. Sad. Yeah, yeah. That's something else I fell into a little bit uh, because it dovetails with all this stuff also. Um, it's sort of like a term that sounds kind of insane that I did pick up somewhere along the way is like non-Hellenic forms of Christianity. Like Christianity oh, yeah. that it's a is nice like term. broken from the Greek systems. And he definitely has that for sure where he's like, yeah, angels are like dead people. They're not like a separate class of beings, you know. Which they... is probably what the average American thinks. I, yeah, I, no, I, mean, I wrote, I, a, I wrote, a, yeah, yeah, I wrote a thread on that. But yeah, dude, like that's another interesting thing. Like you know, classes of beings, angels. That's something I've enjoyed asking. I have some friends that are evangelical Christians, and you get these questions like that where you start asking them, and it's like half of them are like, "Oh no, it's obviously this way," and half of them are like, "Oh no, it's obviously this way." It, you could say it doesn't really matter if angels were like a separate class of being, but uh, but yeah, things like that are like super interesting for me. I read I read something a long time ago, and I wish I could remember who wrote it. It was some maybe I don't remember who it was. He was talking about founding monasteries, and he said the reason that they that all these monasteries would have vows of silence was because that was the only way they could theologically agree is if everyone was silent and just assumed everyone else thought the same things about detailed topics. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny, dude. He's like, if uh, you started talking about angels, everyone would schism. So we just don't. That probably is true. Um, yeah. There's a, I guess you would call him an ethnographer. I hate that I have to use these like academic terms now, but just it's the only way to describe certain people. Um, man, what's his name? I don't have the book here. He wrote a book called... Um, in the hands of a happy God. And it's all about like this rare branch of universalist Baptists in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. They like, don't believe yeah, in I know hell, them, basically. Yeah. Oh, cool. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wrote this book and in the beginning of it, he mentions that he had to stop asking like certain questions 
because no discord among like elders at these churches. Um, like one of them, like even just innocuously, like one of them, he found that when he started asking about predestination, um, mm-hmm. there would be rifts that he would cause because some people thought predestination was like just for salvation, like you're predestined to heaven, or I guess not in this case, but hell. And right. then some people thought predestination was like everything in your life. Like you're predestined yeah. to buy this red car on March 23rd. And he found that when he started asking people, sometimes they would get into like huge arguments and he would cause these like huge problems because like you just said, it never came up. They just weren't talking about it. And then when it did come up, they were like, oh wait, now we have this like insurmountable issue. Yeah, that was, I don't know if you're familiar with John Piper, the um, the Calvinist pre- uh, preacher that goes around today. He's not as yeah. popular as he used to be, but yeah. he he had that exact same effect on people maybe in the nineties. Because he was like, oh, predestination means every, I think the phrase he used was every mode of dust in the universe was predetermined to be in every spot it is from the foundation of the world. <laughs> you know, so it's like, there's no room for anything, any like actual choice. And yet, and then he'd be like, but also it's still your fault if you go to hell. And everyone was like, what? And there was this big <laughs> rift, you know, it, it caused a lot of problems in the Baptists communities for a while. I never did like him. I thought he was sort of, um, intellectually bankrupt but you know yeah. not everyone thought that way no one no one the no one likes the predestination thing unless you unless you actually i should say no one likes it unless you really 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 like it and then you're really into it well i've never yeah. met someone that believed in predestination that didn't believe they were one of the chosen ones like there's never one like <laughs> oh yeah i believe in predestination and i was determined to go to hell you know yeah i i don't believe in it but it's funny because i do have friends that are like calvinist and sometimes i'm like well, you know, in your system, like if your system is true, it's pretty clear that I'm just like a reprobate. I'm just like, I've heard it. You've explained it. I got the picture. I don't believe it. So if you're, if you're right, I'm just, I'm clearly in folder B over here and there's nothing I could do about it. Right. Uh, and there's nothing to be done about it. So why did you tell me? I do enjoy the stuff a lot. I feel like when I was kind of like appling this, I'm definitely not saying this is true, but it felt this way, at least at the time. Sometimes it felt like a lot of the Calvinists were the only ones who would just follow through all the way to the end of their logical posits. Like, I actually... Calvin was a... The thing about Calvin is he was a genius. He was a brilliant man. Maybe one of the smartest theologians that's ever lived. And his his followers, the Calvin people that still follow... Like they are intellectually rigorous. That no, no question. Yeah, yeah. It started to feel like I would, I would, you know, enter a conversation with someone, let's say, and they'd write two plus two equals on the board, and then yes. when I would come over and write four, they'd be like, "What are you, some kind of sicko?" And I'd be <laughs> like, "Dude, I didn't write the two. I'm just, I, I didn't write this, man. It's just on the board." Um, and then it started to feel like, yeah, with the Calvinists, they'd be like, "No, of course it's four. How? Of course, look at it. It's right there." Um, it really yeah. gave me something to kind of grab onto. I'm not Calvinist, obviously, in case that doesn't go without saying. Um, but it was it was sort of like, a, I don't want to say life raft, but it really was like a, an iron rod I could just grab onto and be like, okay, at least here I found a group of intellectuals who seem to also at least entertain the possibility that if you're saying it's one plus two plus three, then the answer has to be six. Because everyone else is like, where are you getting six from, buddy? And I'm like... It's kind of right there. Um, so, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed going into that also, for sure. Yeah, because there, there's these things of like, you know, the, I mean, there's things we t- say about God, like he's omnipotent, he's omnipotent, he's all these things, he's all-knowing, uh, yada, yada, yada. And you say, okay, well, if that's true, then 
uh, he sort of is responsible for every baby that's ever died horribly. And people are like, no, that can't be. And the comments like, yep, yep, that's it's his sovereign will to do that for reasons we don't know. And so that's refreshing in a way. But it also is like, I don't know. It doesn't seem quite satisfying either. It's refreshing in a way for sure. I definitely don't want to give the impression that I think it's the only conclusion an intelligent person could come to, obviously. But it is refreshing because on some level, when you start... I guess, honestly, part of it for me is we mentioned the kids thing. Like, I really do feel like if I didn't think all this stuff was important, if I thought it was really just like a fun intellectual exercise, maybe I would just kind of like keep it in the back burner and do something else with my life and time. But I really do feel like it's pressing in a way because of the general state of Western religion. Uh, I feel like that's really where I'm like a pawn on the chessboard. I don't obviously have the answer, but like, you know, I get in my friend's car, like this actually happened. I get in my friend's car. We're talking about, you know, churches and stuff. And he's like, well, you know, I went to this church. Uh, I was going there my whole life. I was really into it. And then my mom got sick. I prayed about it. She didn't get better. And I was like, okay, this is like not real and stupid. And then I just stopped thinking about it. Uh So like, no matter who you are, that's like a pressing situation where whoever the weirdo, intellectual, academic, whatever class is, basically drop the ball for that guy. I mean, he's just yep. like, a, a, he's like a normal guy. I mean, he's normal not. Normal guy, yeah. You know, yeah. So the ball was dropped for him, whatever the answer is. And I feel like a lot of times, at least on the internet, people have these debates and discussions and it's at this level where it's like, oh, the answer is so obvious. Like if you don't get it, like you're stupid, man. And I feel like when you climb down to the lower level, you're like, even if that's the case, it's not what it looks like down here, man. Um, Yeah. You know how many people, I mean, it's like a joke online, honestly, people being like, well, I was raised Christian. I went to Catholic school, I X, Y, Z. And then they say something that's like totally, completely antithetical to it. So it's like somewhere along the way, there are some like hanging, I guess you could say issues or hanging um, dot, 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 question mark things that's just like the most interesting part of it for me. And that I guess is why I think it's kind of like not it's pressing, not that I'm going to figure it out, but I really enjoy being around it. I enjoy being on that part of the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I enjoy being proximal to that edge of like, well, what does this mean for like a normal person? Like how does a normal person understand this and things like that? Yeah, it's that's I mean, I would say that's largely the project we've been trying to do here in the podcast and also on the writing I do. And I I I don't I don't think it's going successfully. <laughs> I think we just get uh checkmated every every move we try to make because I I don't want to sound too defeatist, but I, I have sort of felt like you like the institutional Christianity in, in every stripe. Uh, there's really no one that can be said to be immune from this has completely failed over the last, I don't know, century to, to, I don't address people's problems. Like there's no, I, you know, you can only do so much as one person. And I just keep looking around like at the churches, like, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you, you're like focused on nonsense all the time. I don't, and people are out here dying and, you know, I don't, yeah, no, but honestly, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for George Soros to send me some money. That's all. <laughs> no, I feel you, man. I mean, it's it seems like so long ago for me, but like a big part of why I like, I guess you could say took up my operation in general at all 
um like even like what i don't even know how many years ago it was dude like so long ago um well i was following you back when you were western identity oh cool okay cool yeah it was, back, it, it was back then yeah i it really was like the opiate crisis honestly yeah. as as disconnected as that sounds because i was seeing how depressed everyone around me was and i could write it off as well you know maybe i'm just in this weird environment these are the people around me everyone has problems but like just seeing the you know the charts man and the numbers and you're talking to people and they're like did you hear you know kevin's friend and this guy found in his car and i was like okay this is a large scale phenomenon that has mm -hmm. a spiritual element and even if i'm not going to do the right thing maybe i'm going to do it incorrectly or poorly i feel like i have to do something here I can't just like sit in my room and like do nothing. Like I really can't look back and be like, yeah, I kind of was just hanging out, like doing nothing when all this was happening. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it does feel, it feels like if you just survey like the long arc of history, I get so like cagey about it. My wife says I'm like too cagey about it because I don't like to paint the picture of like, you know, I know this is not what you were saying, but you're like, everyone's wrong. And like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, sometimes yeah. it feels like that's what people take it up as. Right. But yeah, really I, I've like... been guilty of that before. And to be fair, I think everyone is wrong, but I'm also wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it does feel like you're looking around and you're like, well, there are all these patterns and institutions and things. And like at the very best, it's maybe not going wonderfully. <laughs> I feel like at the very matter, best. At the very going, best, yeah. maybe it's not going wonderfully. That's maybe a good way to say it. Um and yeah, man, it's just such an interesting time period, I feel like, because all the scholarship, all the internet connectivity, I feel like every institution, domain, group, religion, everyone is hitting this new frontier. And we're honestly like right there. I mean, even yeah. something like, like if we were just talking right now and we were talking about Catholic dogma, I know that we could pull up, you know, a PDF of the canon law and look at it right now, whether we're qualified to or not is whatever, or we could pull up the, you know, Aquinas writing right now and look at it and compare it to something else. Like even that man is crazy. Like yeah. I read stuff about people, you know, breaking with their institutions and nice case study because not in a negative sense, but it's close enough to like handle, you know, it's hard to like pick up Catholicism and really hold it all in your hands. But with Mormonism, you have this compressed time frame. It happened in America mostly. So it feels like more handleable in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but there are these people, you know, they're called the Tanners, this Mormon history now. Uh, but there's some original like anti uh, LDS people that are sort of questioning the church that's as much as relevant right now. But when I was reading about their stuff, like this guy, Gerald Tanner, like he had to, when he, so he's, he's living in Utah and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in this history, uh, these books, these documents. Like he literally had to go drive to like a totally different state. He had to drive to like Missouri and like sleep on someone's floor and like meet the right person to go to this place and see these documents. And it's like, dude, I could just pull those up on Google right now. And yeah, it, sounds sure. it sounds stupid to be like, oh, the internet. But the way it hits the religious thing I feel like is something actually that people don't really totally appreciate, you know, and the no, it's, way, and it's, the way it's worse than it's, I don't know, worse. It's more impactful than the, than the printing press 10,000 times. Oh yeah, dude. For we're sure. living through, we're living through a Gutenberg era event and people have not come to terms with that yet. No, for sure. Yeah. Because you could raise your kids Catholic and then they go on YouTube and they could literally just type in why is Catholicism wrong and find but a 15 bam. hour 
find 15 hours of videos about it right in your living room. Like that's yeah. unprecedented. Or you could do the opposite. You could raise your kid atheist yep. and they could just search why is Catholicism correct and you get the 15 hours of some PhD talking about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's it's honestly, that's like the electrifying part of it. I feel like maybe in a way that's kind of what like, I don't want to say what keeps me going, but like that is really just such a crazy part of it that electrifying is really the right, right word. Like, you know, I have books here, I have documents here where if it was like, even like 50 years ago, you'd have to go to like a university library, man. And I feel like I bought them for like a few dollars. Like that kind of thing is just so invigorating and exciting. It's really awesome. Like prime example, last, last evening, I went to a Melkite uh, parish. Are you familiar with the Melkites? Are they like Oriental Orthodox or something? So they're they're like Eastern Orthodox, but technically they're united with the Catholics. Okay, cool. So the the brief history is uh, after the schism, the Catholics went in and said, hey, we will give you access to these schools that we built if you just do everything the same, but after the thing you say, and the Pope. And then they're like, yeah, okay. Is that, so like everything Siri, is, the- is that like Syria vibes? Like, is that what I'm imagining? Yeah, similar. It's Syrian. Yeah, it's they, a lot of Arabic in there. Okay, so, okay, cool. And so everything is the same as an Eastern Orthodox service, except right when they do the blessing, they go, and the Pope. <laughs> That's But everything <laughs> else is the same, except they don't even say the Pope. They say Bishop of Rome because they That's don't really want to give that, that much. You know, it's so they don't even include the filioque. It's so ridiculous how they're Catholic. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway. So, uh, uh, but he was, he was going on because yesterday was like the anniversary of the, whatever council decided that iconoclasm classism was wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they did this whole like parade around with the icons and whatnot. And, uh, the whole time I was just thinking, you know, I have actually read all those documents now. And I know that the iconoclast had a stronger argument <laughs> and that actually your side forged a lot of documents. And that's very, like, that could have never happened before. You know, like, the priest would just say something, and you're like, yeah, I guess so. But now I can actually go fact check him, which I'd already done beforehand. I don't even think he knows this. Like, I think he what he thought was sincere. But I'm like, I know I can show you the earliest church was not a fan of icons. And later they were. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but your whole spiel you just gave is not factually correct. You know? And so I don't that that's happening a 10,000 times a day across the world now. Yeah. And it's honestly like, I, I really feel like that's just breaking. Honestly, I feel like literally right now, because you kind of lump it in with the internet, not you, but like when you think of it, you kind of lump it in with the internet, but it really is like the apps and social media and things like that. Mm-hmm. getting to a point of, I don't know, concrescence might be the right word. I really feel yeah, like it's, it's just like, the like meta, it's like the meta internet. The, the, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's literally like right now, like maybe the last yeah. like few years, like right this very second. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> yeah, dude, it was really funny because, uh, so like I really, the Mormon thing is like a huge theme in my studies as much as Catholicism and everything now, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. but yeah, anyway, I happened to listen to this interview. So like right when the baby came, I would have to walk him up and down the stairs for like hours, bro. I mean, I'm not complaining. Yeah. It was a great, yeah, it was yeah. a great time. Um, but I listened to this, like, I think it was like four or five hours, this interview of this guy that left uh, the LDS church. And he was talking about this, like, 
Uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a ceremony they do that, you know, you usually wouldn't like talk about it to put it shortly. Mm-hmm. And it was funny cause these missionaries came over and my wife's like, Oh, ask him about the thing. I'm at, and I'm in the background, like doing the, you know, Jonah Hill gif of like my hand at my neck. I'm like, don't bring that up. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah. I'm like they don't, they don't know about that, bro. Um, yeah. and yeah, stuff like that. Where like you're saying, you can like go in and read this document and like, you know, when has that happened? Anyway, yeah, it's that, that's it's so electrifying, dude. And I feel like it really is kicking us over into this place where everything is so accelerated. And I guess the real pedal to the metal thing is like, I don't know how much any people use the word dogma negatively. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just using this word. But like any dogma idea or group or anything won't be able to just coast because they're going to get hit from like every angle on everything. Yeah. Um, and that's part of like, yeah, that's part of like why I I feel like I do what I do in a way I don't have any one institutional allegiance. So I really can just kind of like step into it and be like, oh, here's this interesting thing. People can take it as entertainment or funny, or they could look into it themselves. Um, yeah, man, it's a weird time to be a religious person for sure. Yeah. You put it perfectly. There is no dogma that can just coast. You have to be able to defend it. It reasonably or drop it and that's just gonna that's just gonna be it what has to happen and yeah i mean <laughs> even the fact that we both know like what the filioque is like that's like insane like i haven't even like yeah, really yeah. sought out that information i just absorbed it through osmosis of being part of this like meta world you know um, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the 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 there's never been a level of religious discourse higher than now which is depressing <laughs> but it's true like that uh, going back to your kid because the book is babyology um did your kid because my my baby did my baby various children uh give you any sort of as there were very little just learning to talk any like did they reveal to you any because you had this great i think it was comic i don't remember it was one where you were asking like is the baby getting smarter as it gets older or dumber (laughs) and uh did your children ever like tell you strange religious things as they were first learning to talk or your child it's a good question um they definitely had like inclinations and a kind of personality innately i would say which you could dovetail with certain ideas and theological concepts but as for explicit stuff not really uh Talking about death with him has been interesting because it, it kind of has come up and we've had to like talk about it a little bit. Uh, but none of the weird, like, you know, like a movie thing where he's like, I remember riding in a blue car with my other dad or something, yeah. you know. No, Although I have well, heard see, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I had two of mine, both brought, and I didn't talk, I don't feel like I ever exposed them. Both of them expressed uh being in heaven or something before they were born. Whoa, just, really? That's just crazy. like a one-off sentence, like you know. Oh, that was back when I was in heaven and they would run around and, and, you know, and I was like, ah, interesting. Um, And I don't know. And then they later forgot about it and didn't mention it anymore. But that just sort of those little things you're like, hmm, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's really interesting. One thing I guess one thing that is weird is that we haven't really done like the religion thing. He's just like a hair too young. But we have had to talk about like death. Uh, interestingly i guess you could dovetail this with like folk religion but like the main into it has been like the concept of heaven 
because I didn't really want to tell him yet. He's still really young, like mm -hmm. that God is like this guy in the sky because I thought he might take it like too literally, you know, yeah. and not really get it. Like, be like, oh, there's literally like a dude like right there, you know, like the moon is in the sky, you know, like right. 50,000 50, BC moment. Um, but yeah, like heaven, like there's this place, like this animal died, like where does it, where did it go? What's he doing? You know, um, mm -hmm. one interesting thing though with the memories that you just reminded me of is that he uh owen jr uh as of yet unnamed uh he doesn't is he really unnamed give... in real life or is he, is he... <laughs> no no okay. he yeah imagine that would be so so insane um he doesn't really give like random answers like in to the extent that like if you ask him something and he doesn't understand or he doesn't understand you it will kind of like maybe upset him a little bit uh -huh. and we asked him if I asked him if he remembered being in mom's tummy because she's pregnant and we explained the babies in there and he does get it. And he was point blank like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I was like, really, you remember that? And he was like, yeah. And it's weird just because if you ask him random questions, he doesn't say yes or no like that. And he was like, no, yeah, totally. No, uh, to go back but, to what I was saying, my first daughter, she was swinging. She was maybe like three or maybe younger. It's just she talked very early. Two something, perhaps. Anyway, she, we were swinging downstairs in the basement on the swing we had hung up in the uh, against the rafters and she just started talking. She was like, yeah, that was back when I was in heaven or something. And I was like, Oh, interesting. You know, I'll explore that a little bit more. And she said, I said, well, what was that like? She said, well, I was up there or I'm not remembering it perfectly. And then she said, and then I was in a warm place where all I ate was soup. Whoa, that's insane. I know. I was like, what? Like, how do you, you know, and this she's describing in utero life like as a memory that she has and then there is like some river sticks process or whatever or what i forget the one that makes you forget that you forget that by the time you're like five and then it, it goes away and it's but it's baffling i don't know what to make of it yeah that's so interesting dude yeah the pre-mortal existence is something that I it's also is... in the bible the pre-mortal bible yeah the book of wisdom solomon's book of wisdom he talks about uh, he, 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 because he was good, he got a good body and he was, you know, it's like all this, he mentions it twice. Well, that's really dope because I have a book of KJV Apocrypha here and I have not gone through it yet. That's yeah. Read sick. the book of wisdom. It's trippy. Yeah. That's dope. I definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting because yeah, the pre-mortal existence, uh, I talk about it in the book, I think it was condemned in like the four or five hundreds as a heresy yeah. full on, um, but I never really like wrestled with or poked into like the philosophical ramifications of it. Um, also the way in which Christianity adapted what I would call like the natural immortality of the soul. The idea mm -hmm. that like, you know, once the soul's created, it can't be destroyed. And then some people are like, well, yeah, but that immortality extends backwards in the other way. Like you had a life like before this. Um, I used mm -hmm. to really be into reincarnation being like an Eastern uh, right. oriented, nerdy white guy living in an apartment doing drugs. Um, but then once For I sure. got rid of, yeah, once I got rid of that, I never really like went back into it, but yeah, the whole natural immortality of the soul thing was another huge thing for me. It's weird because on the one hand, I do know some groups and people, and I know some of them in real life who are what you would call like annihilationist. They think yep. that like the soul can just be destroyed. And when you read the Bible and it says, you know, he died, it means like death like he's done like he's dead mm -hmm. it's death it's not like you know an underworld he's just dead and you get the eternal life you know as a prize basically right. but uh yeah the pre-mortal existence thing is comes up all the time man like even in random example but like in waldorf school 
Uh, mm-hmm. We have, I don't know if people know what that is. It was like started by Rudolf Steiner. It's a whole thing we could go into. It's but like, it's th- like, what if you did, if what if you did a private school by a guy that believed heavily in Atlantis? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they have a book about birthdays. My wife's really into it. I guess you could yeah. say she was, that, that was kind of like her spiritual paradigm was Waldorf school growing up. And they have a book about birthdays. And when you read it, it's literally like describing the pre-mortal existence. It's like you were here and you had this life. And then now you're coming here. You ride down like the rainbow bridge and come into your mom. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, this is literally just the pre-mortal existence straight up. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a thing in Mormonism. I talk about that in the book. Uh, uh, it's 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 interesting, man. Yeah, I think in Swedenborg, I, I don't know if Swedenborg has the pre-mortal existence full on, but um it's something like that. Cause yeah, he has like the post-mortal existence and it's really fleshed out. Like, you know, he talks about the house you have and the family you have and like literally where you live and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the kid saying that is, <laughs> that's crazy, man. I've also seen stuff like yeah, that. That made like, me, that made me pause for like three months. I was like, I don't know what to make of that. Cause those sorts of things are also, I mean, just from a political point of view, people, kids saying that sort of stuff is like, cause like all the whole thing about abortion is like, well, they don't feel anything yet. Like, no, they're consciously aware of being there. Yeah, I pat when I was really thinking about it the most, um, the pre-mortal existence, we take this drive and out in the you know rural red state world, you do see anti-abortion billboards and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them it says, it's like Jeremiah 1 5. Uh before, before I, what is yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, you know what it says. It says before like, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Yeah. Which yeah. sounds pre-existency. And every time I drove past it, I was just like, bro, stop. Like, I'm trying to relax right now. <laughs> I was like, stop, yeah. man. That sounds pre-existency. And uh, Solomon brings it up. And then, you know, you could even do a quasi-defensive reincarnation from the words of Jesus, where he's like, hey, John the Baptist, he is Elijah. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know what I, that means. <laughs> I, have, I have a break with reincarnation because, it. I mean, aside from my worldview, it kind of like scrambles yeah. my conception of like identity too yeah, much. Yeah, I agree. I, I used to really believe in it like full on, um, but then I stopped for a variety of reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the philosophical stuff of it is interesting too. And then like we're talking about, it dovetails with the history because at some point the... I don't want to say adopted, like it's just made up whole cloth, but at some point it was, let's say, formalized that the natural immortality of the soul extending into the future is the formal dogmatic Christian belief that everyone right. basically believes, um, whether it's right or wrong. And yeah, man, it's just really interesting, dude. Like I imagine maybe, you know, but like, you know, Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff, they, they basically- sleepers. Yeah, exactly, dude. They take the position of like, you know, if you read this, it kind of just seems like when you die, you're dead. And then if you did the right thing, you get to, you know, go through this other process. Um, Yeah, man. yeah, that was a whole big that that, that almost like cracked the nut open for me of like understanding the American religious thing from the inside. Maybe Mm -hmm. was the whole soul sleep uh, annihilationist thing because I was like, oh, I really could imagine being an American it's 1830. You have this meta narrative about the Catholic church being this evil dark force. And you finally get to your room and you finally pick up the Bible and you're like, oh, wait, all that stuff's not in here. You know, whether or not that's valid or not. I was like, oh, now I'm finally seeing this the way that they would have saw it. And that yeah. to me means that you could start to understand it as a phenomenon, like on its own terms, rather than just engaging with it as like uh, something philosophically bizarre or like an oddity or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's, that's the weird thing is that that like, 
the afterlife, at least with hell and so on, is maybe where the Bible gets the closest to Greek philosophy because like Old Testament Sheol is very, very similar to Hades in many ways. And like it's this place, shadowy realm of, you know, whatever, it's where you may go and who knows if you come out. That's like, but that is the part where ironically we have the most departure. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand anything sometimes. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then like you kind of get in these interesting hitches of like, you know, asking people questions like, well, that means there are formal answers for this. But if you start asking questions of like, you know, um, if someone dies and it's a bad person, you imagine they go to hell. Right. But the last judgment hasn't happened yet. So what do they go to hell and then come back and get judged and then go back again? Like, how does that work exactly? Um, A lot of people you ask them, they're like, I never thought of that. I never thought of it before someone like posed that question to me. There are like formal answers of like, you know, public and private judgment and such things. Um, yeah, and like some people throw out like this double tier thing, like, oh, well, you go to Hades now, and then after the judgment, you go to hell, or you go to heaven now, and after the judgment, you go to paradise. It's like it's like you go to soft heaven or soft hell for a minute, I guess. Yeah, 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 like Abraham's bosom and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like what is Abraham's? But bo- like, I don't know. Yeah, I am full on like natural. I don't know if I want to go to some guy's bosom. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am full on like natural immortality of the soul guy. I'm, I'm really. I don't have like an uh, annihilationist inclination or something, but I really do feel like one of my favorite things with like researching weird stuff in general, which is obviously <laughs> the meta domain that we're in right now, right. Um, is like when you're talking to someone that maybe you feel like, maybe you wouldn't use the word crazy, but you're like, I don't see things the same way as this person. I think they're a little bit off uh, in terms of their view. But when they start saying something and you're like, oh man, that's a great point. That's such yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a good, interesting feeling. Like one of the guys, I don't know if this guy was Jehovah's Witnesses or something, but he was like, well, you know, like, um, and they're, so again, we keep saying it, but they're annihilationists. They think when you die, right. you just are, you cease to exist. And then the the good I don't want to say good. The people with the gift of eternal life get the eternal life. So they he's get like, you know, later and their consciousness goes away. <clears throat> then they get resurrected later and it comes back. Yeah. 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 Um, so he was saying, he was saying to me, he was like, you know, in the garden of Eden, when, when God says to them, if you eat this fruit, he doesn't say, if you eat this fruit, you're going to go to hell and be tormented forever. He just says, you're going to die. And he's right. like, if you, if they were going to go to eternal something or other, wouldn't it be the most honest thing for him to tell them that? Wouldn't it be kind of deceptive to be like, oh, you're going to die, dot, dot, dot. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. I I, also I, eternal I, hell. Yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to that, but it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's a good point. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I think some people don't like that kind of thing because it feels like gotcha But for me, if someone that I don't have a, the same view as hits me with one of those. I'm like, ugh, it's a good one. Nice. That's the thing. All these various groups in America have, uh, have at least a handful of like really good points. And you're like, yeah. ah, I didn't want to hear that. Now I have to think about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you like comic 60, you brought up Mothman. Uh, this is something we talk about on the show before just cryptids in general. Where are you on cryptids at the moment? And have you been in the past? Oh, I'm 100% in on the cryptid thing. Okay. Totally, objectively real, for sure. Objectively uh, real. Nice. Oh, I, well, 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 the phenomenon. Well, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a strong stance. Well, well, the phenomena, phenomenon of cryptids is real. People experience yeah. something that we call cryptids. What it actually is, I guess, could be up for debate. 
Uh, I wouldn't entertain that it's like a full on hallucination or something. That's all I mean by being real. Um, uh, I think if you really tried to pin me down on it, um, there's a story in this book called Shamanism and Tantra in the Himalayas. Um, It's a big book with a lot of pictures. It's It's an interesting book. And basically one of the guys is talking to a Nepalese shaman and he's explaining like the, the finding a Yeti thing. And basically they're like, you know, there's these white English people who are like going to look for the Yeti in the mountains. And the shaman's like, it's not like that. Like he's not like a monkey in the mountains. Like it's like a spiritual being that like comes in and out of like this reality. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably subscribe to something mostly like that, that they're, they are like an entity for, They probably vary case to case for what they actually are. Bigfoot's probably like the best example to hone in on. Uh, I know that some natives think Bigfoot is like a spiritual kind of like quasi human. Mm -hmm. Something like that is probably what I think the most. Like, I don't know if it's really like literally like a large monkey you could like catch and dissect and stuff like that. Right. Um, Probably like trans physical entities, I guess is like what I would say. I, I, I think Bigfoot is a forest ghost. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, for like sure. if all the phenomenon that a ghost, if a ghost, or if a ghost was making footsteps and banging on rocks and stuff in the attic, that go, oh, it's a ghost. But if it happens in the woods, like, oh, it's a big. Yeah, I used to talk a lot about the missing four hundred one one stuff. That was a big yeah. opening up to like the paranormal in my world. Um, I think that stuff's real for sure. Uh, it gets I, I love that David Politis is clearly suggesting people are being abducted by Bigfoot for like. 2000 pages and just can never really say it. Yeah. In one interview, he says like, he says something like, you know, I just don't want the families to feel like I'm using them to like pump something insane, which I feel like is reasonable, but yeah, you read it and you're like, okay. So like, I get it. It's like, okay, <laughs> David, you can just say Bigfoot took these people. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? It's interesting too. Cause it kind of folds back on like creatures being tied to the land and like the mm-hmm. people and stuff like that. It really dovetails with everything because, like, you know, I mentioned the Waldorf stuff. They have gnomes really hard as uh, yeah. as weird as a connection that is. So there's something like, you know, fairies, people groups, like Celtic people. It feels like they have some connection with fairies, but, like, don't the fairies kind of mess with them, I guess? Yeah. yeah. But then, like, well, then what if the Celtic people came here to America, which, like, kind of happened in, like, the Carolinas and Appalachia? Like, would they kind of bring that with them maybe bigfoot feels very native american-y i guess it is that's interesting and sort of speaks to america's like weird spiritual historical situation uh but yeah i think they're real for sure i've been going into a little bit more because one of the bigger projects i'm working on right now is like an esoteric map of the world so oh, obviously fine. that includes cryptids and stuff yeah. And it's it, that's really fun because like going through them as a list, you like hit them and you're like, okay, this one's real. Some guy probably made this one up. This one's real. Someone admitted they made this one up. This one's probably a demon or something. This one, and you kind of like just go through the list. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of resurfaced in my work recently for sure. Have you read the book? I think you'd enjoy uh there's a book called American Monsters. And it's pretty oh, fun. It's just so a, it's just a, it's just an encyclopedia of all the various cryptids that people in America have ever claimed to see. Oh, that's cool. It's pretty that's cool. cool. What What is your favorite cryptid? Oh my God. It's you have one that you just question. like, or, or favorite and then the one you're most convinced of. Um, Man, I know I'm going to get off this and be like, oh my God, I should have said this. But honestly, off the cuff, 
My favorites are the ones that hover on the edge of possibly being real or almost being like an egregore thought form or something. Um, in one of Lovecraft's stories, there's spoiler alert in case you haven't read the 150 year old story or whatever, but, um, there's a famous one called the curse of Yig and long story short, there's like this snake God being that people are afraid of. And these people have an encounter with it, but afterwards it's like, Oh, maybe they just misread the situation because they were so scared of this being. And it kind of leaves you in this place of like, Oh, I guess it's real, but maybe the idea of it affected them more than the physical reality or something. Those ones I really like. It's a really random choice, but I'll go with one that's like D-list here. But there's one called the Pope Lick Monster in Kentucky. Uh And I really liked that one. There's not that much about it, but I liked it because there's stories of people seeing it on this like train bridge or seeing it under this train bridge that you have to climb up the train bridge to like see it. And people have done it. But then when they're on the train bridge, some of them have gotten like hit by the train. Yeah. I kind of, not that I, obviously I don't want that to happen to people. I don't like it, but as a story and tale and folkloric uh, physical thing, it's interesting because it's exactly what I just described. It's like, well, they were lured there by the idea of this thing and met this unfortunate demise, but the thing could just be an idea. But then if it is just an idea, it's still like luring people in. That's, Mm -hmm. that's cool for me. So I like ones like that. I'll pick that one. I'll, oh, okay. or, the, or the Jersey Devil, but I, I would go with the, with the public monster. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty norm. I'm pretty normie in that regard, and that I, I Mothman is my favorite. Nice, dude. The Mothman one's crazy because I'm sure then you obviously remember, but yeah. like there was a time a few years ago where he was getting seen like during the he day by like thousands of people, bro. That was yeah. insane, man. That was a really awesome time to be a weird person on the internet because he turned up in what Chicago outside of the Chicago O'Hare Airport, I think. Dude, yeah, I feel like it got swept up in like the 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 politics vibe of like maybe 2016, like it just got brushed yeah. over. But there were people being like, "Yeah, no, I was walking around Chicago during the day and I saw Mothman," and you're like, "What? <laughs> like yeah. what, dude?" Yeah, um, and also that was about the same time that for some reason there were a lot of clowns scaring people. Do you remember that? Oh my god, dude. that was so strange. Uh, yo, that's honestly where I sort of had to like, I don't want to say stop, but. This guy, I kind of know, turned me on to this idea. He was like, you should be really careful researching this. I know it's like the internet lore, like creepy pasta. But he basically was like, what those things are, are like, they're literally, I guess he's a little insane, like we all are. But he was like, they're literally um, like eruptions from the subconscious, but they like actually become real. And he kind of really turned me on to it because he was like with the clown stuff. He was like. You know, if you think about it, like there's a guy driving around in a clown suit. He's like, they never find these guys. He was like, this doesn't make any sense. And he basically was like, it is because like the the popular psyche is like thinking about it, that then these like real events happen, like on the edge of like reality. And I was like, man, that's crazy. But I'm not going to like. Well, that's there's a whole school of thought that says that's what poltergeists are like. The noisy ghost is like your emotions. You're having an argument in the house or whatever, and you're emo- or you're feeling very angry, and your emotions explode out physically and knock something over in the house. Whoa, that's really cool. Because if yeah. you look at poltergeist activity, it is almost always associated with a with a young girl going through puberty. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to say it's mostly like a young girl thing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it's like it's perfect, you know, way to with the interview. But it's like I took this long arc through like 
wrestling hardcore with the classical theology stuff and American religion. And it's like my car took a big circle and now I'm almost like coming back into now folding that in with like my other interests of like paranormal, mm-hmm. paranormal stuff, you know, ancient stuff, things like that. Um, like prehistoric, you know, whatever. So it's interesting, man. It's like, it's kind of like I loaded up the car and now I'm doing the circle again and I'm things like yeah. differently. Um, but yeah, because I'm doing that map, I have been hitting like ghost sightings and it's like, oh, I haven't thought about this in a while. Um, prehistoric stuff, ancient sites, those being haunted or something. I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about this in a while. And I'm really seeing it in a different way because of the whole, like, again, classical theology, Hellenic Christianity, non-Hellenic Christianity thing. Um, you know, we just brushed over it, but like the angels thing, you know, it's like our angels, this like super physical essence, ontological class, or is it literally like a dead guy? Because I yeah. mean, that affects how you're going to view something like a ghost sighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of where we started, but it's like these weird ideas of like, what are the metaphysics of like the bodies of angels ties into like, well, in Germany, this girl, you know, got really mad and like a bunch of stuff broke in her house. Like, why is that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. It's all like one thing. It reminds me of this, like not to be pretentious, but there's this Rilke poem where he's like, I'm circling around this tower, but I don't know what the tower is. And I just keep getting closer and closer to it and making tighter and tighter circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how like all this stuff feels sometimes. Yeah. Walking the circle to know the center. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you for doing this. Everyone. It's this Owen Cyclops. Uh, his website is owencyclops.com and you can find him on uh, Twitter at Owen broadcast. Uh, or Twitter X, I guess, at Owen Broadcast. And yeah. buy the book, Babyology, and the other book as well. Channel the book's one. Babyology. Uh, that is my website, but you'd have an easier time with owencomics.com. Like every okay. artist, I have too many web presences I can't keep up with. But uh-huh. yeah, I do that. Uh, yeah, you can find me there for sure. Uh, there's like a Nexus link on owencomics.com. And Perfect. yeah, man, thanks for having me on. This is super fun. It's one of those interviews I feel like we could probably go on like all day. So I'll yeah, have to come yeah. back. Maybe I'll come back when I drop the uh, world map. Well, you're welcome. You're well, like I said, one of my co-hosts has died. If you want to become a regular co-host, you're welcome to be here. Cool. Once I'm done, once I'm done deploying the uh, infants over here, I'll see, I'll see what my schedule looks like. All right, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.